a message. Most of us know that the word angel means a messenger, and the word evangel is the same. It's got the word angel in it. It means a good message. Or we call it glad tidings. Or we call it good news. And you want to remember this, that if Christ had died and ascended and sat down at the right hand of God and nobody ever told anything about it, well, what would be the consequence? It's very much like a man who has left a legacy in a will but he's gone away to Australia or New Zealand or somewhere and nobody knows whether he's living or dead. Well, so far as he's concerned, it means nothing to him. And so God has sent a message. Well now, we're going to discover, I believe, uh, that it's very right that when people think of what they call the simple presentation of the Gospel, we almost automatically think of John 3.16. There are features in it which have to be uh, used with discretion, and there are some things in it which are not found, which we know full well belong to our calling, I mean, justification by faith, the imputation of righteousness and so on, is not involved. But the sheer fact that God has done something, he directs us to a person, we believe what he says, and the consequences are eternal life. That's where we begin. You remember when John summed up in the last chapter but one of this gospel, his purpose in writing it? He said, I've made a selection of these things which our Saviour both said and did, he said, I think if I'd have tried to include the lot, the world wouldn't contain the books that should be written. But he said, I've chosen these that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. Now that's the first basic necessity. It's no good arguing whether you're the bride or the body, where you're going to be in the paradise or in the heavenly city. If you're dead, you need life. So John comes and says, first things first, life. After you've got life, then you search the scriptures to discover whether you have a calling, and if so, where it's going to be enjoyed and so on. So here we have right down on the very bottom, the wages of sin is death. Have you got life, the ones to whom I'm speaking? If you're not sure about it, listen to God's word, for this is the way in which he points the pathway. So we have the thought that a message is involved. Yesterday, when we had a meeting here, my subject was found in the very earliest book in the Bible, the book of Job. And Elihu steps forward and said, If there be a messenger with him, one among a thousand, an interpreter, to show unto man his uprightness, he says, deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. But you see the first thing, if there be a messenger with him. Because if you're never told about it, it might as well have never been done. So, remember, that God has not left us in the dark. He has sent the message. He has enshrined the gospel in the scriptures. And to this very day, they can be read by folks in all parts of this wide world. Now, John 3.16 there was a company once of Christian people, some of them ministers, who were asked if they would stand up, if any one of them stand up, and quote John 3.16 from memory. And it is stated that there were several who did it. And they all left out the first word. 
Because the first word is a connective. A logical connective. Connecting it with something else. But you mustn't drop that. So would you look at John 3.16? It starts with the word for. Now you can't start something with for. You couldn't go up to somebody in the street and say to them, for. Well, you could, but it wouldn't make any sense. It already assumes you've said something. Now, there is a dangerous way in which some people have treated the Scriptures and the Gospel. They think that perhaps they're broad-minded or that they're focusing attention upon the only thing that matters. They may say to you, and rightly, well, surely eternal life doesn't depend upon whether Moses actually wrote Genesis or whether he didn't. Uh, you see, you can sometimes talk like that and it becomes exceedingly dangerous. Because when our Saviour was upon earth, he definitely said, if they believe not Moses' writings, how should they believe my words? So it's no good saying, oh, it doesn't matter to me about all these arguments about Moses and Abraham and that as long as I believe Jesus. Say, friends, you cannot believe Jesus, for he spoke of Abraham. He spoke of Jacob. He spoke of David. He endorsed the scriptures which the Jews had in their hands beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all things, those things which are written concerning himself. So will you look at John 3 and see to what this word for in verse 16 is referring. It goes back to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now you cannot say, as Moses, who never lived, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which he never did, and put in a book which he never wrote. They say, well, if that's the case, what about the gospel? We can't build on such a foundation as that. So this is saying that the book of Numbers must be true. And the man Moses must have been a person. And he actually did what God said he did, lifted up a serpent as a type and a shadow of the coming Christ. Now, that shows you that it's not possible for anyone to say it doesn't matter to me about the inspiration of Scripture as long as I believe Jesus. They cannot do it. Now, I'll leave that for a moment and I'll ask you to look at the chart that you have in front of you. Incidentally, I haven't got it with me, so I've done it roughly on the board, but the folks who are listening to this will have one photographically. Because sometimes a little set out is useful. You notice on the uh, one side there is an acrostic of the word gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. Well, if you write John 3.16 down, you can build up that, you see. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, then I put a dash, because I want you to realise this, that's all that God has to do, all that he will ever do. Nothing else to be done. That's the first half of the Gospel. God sent his Son. Will you turn to Romans, the first chapter, just to get an endorsement of this emphasis? Romans, the first chapter. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. You've got the two things there, you see. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so 
which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, but then in brackets. We'll ignore the bracket now for a moment. Separated unto the gospel of God concerning his Son. Now what's the next reference to the gospel in the same chapter? Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. And there is no gospel without his Son. For the gospel points to a sacrifice that was made and a body prepared for him meant that he had to come into this world in order that it may be made possible. So here we have then the first item, God's only Son. And then the other side, our side of it. Either we perish or we should have an everlasting life. Either one or the other. And I think it is at least expected that a righteous, if not a merciful judge, will always tell the person the penalty that they involve. And this doesn't say, shall not be everlastingly burning and writhing in Brimston. No, it just says, perish over against life. Let us see to it that those alternatives are kept well in the mind. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there we have have an acrostic that it may well to remember. And I would like you to notice, I put a hyphen between the two syllables that make up the word gospel. And although this may seem irrelevant, I'm not using this little story just because I don't know what else to say, but sometimes a little thing will impress it on your mind, or you say, what's coming now? Well, a teacher in school was teaching the very infant's the composition of words, G-O-S, Gos, P-E-L, Pell, Gos, Pell, and a little hyphen in between. And then, unfortunately, she used this illustration. Now she said, Johnny, listen to this, B-I-R-D, bird, C-A-G-E, cage, what's the little bit in between? He says, that's where the bird perches, teacher. Well, now, don't think that. I'm giving it to you to be the link It's nothing to do with a bird perching, it's a hyphen joining together what God has done and what you so seriously need. And what joins it together? The act of faith. Not that faith itself saves you. There's no merit in faith. But it's utterly impossible for moral creatures to really transact business one with another if they don't believe one another. Why the outside world, just outside this chapel, with all its insurance schemes and banks, and they have no knowledge of God, whatever. They're all talking about credit all the day long. And that's the Latin word for believing. They can't get away from it. If I didn't believe, fancy writing an article that's cost me a good deal of labour and perspiration and prayer, and I go and put it into a red box, and I don't know even the man who's going to take it, I don't know where they're going to do, what they're going to do with it, I never bother anymore about it. I just trust that it'll be delivered. And so, in millions of cases, it is. So now we've got this gospel in front of us and it starts by linking this gospel to the Old Testament and now it comes on to its characteristics. You see, I've got the letter O lifted out of these words. Well, if I'd had heaps of time, I would have made it look like a chain with links, you see, joining the God in heaven with all his holiness with me down there with all my sin and the links linking me together. So, 
You just watch that, will you? These letter O's will form the links in the chain that is now going to be sort of elaborated. Now the first word in the gospel itself is not the word for, that's the link. The first word is God. Now, we want to remember that God as God, God the invisible, God who has no contact with man, God who is outside the limitations of time and space, can never save us. As by man came death, by man came the resurrection of the dead. Not even an angel could save us. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, fulfilling all the claims both of Genesis and the remaining books of the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, a redemption indeed. So, here we get God. The God against whom we've offended, because ultimately, we must start with creation. Whenever you're starting with anybody, there comes a moment when argument has to go right back to Genesis. Why should I bother about God? Why should I wonder about, say, look friends, God is the creator. God is your maker. And he made you in such a way that you are not a stock or a stone or a machine. You have a moral responsibility. And you're responsible ultimately to him. God. And if God never moved, there'd never be a gospel. It wouldn't matter how much people down here on this world cried out and said, oh, I wish there was some way to be saved. That wouldn't save them. It wouldn't matter if the angels wept in heaven. That wouldn't save them. There's only one way whereby we must be saved. And that is that God's righteousness and holiness are never compromised by the exercise of his love. But of course, if I go on like this, instead of wanting 20 minutes, I should want about 20 weeks or 20 years. And so I'm leaving that with you to think over. This must be the gospel of God so far as the author is concerned. And then it says, For God so loved the world. Now, it's forgivable if you think all that means the magnificence of the love of God. All the breadth of the love of God. The greatness of the love of God. Yes, that's all there. But that isn't what it says. It says, God loved the world like this. Will you turn to the next chapter in John's Gospel? And look at verse 6, and I'll read it in the same way. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat like this on the well. He sat like a weary man on the well. He sat like this. And that's what it says here. God loved the world like this. How? He sent his son. Loved. Isn't it a word that's thrown about? If you listen to songs on the wireless, you wonder whatever, whatever they mean by the word love. Do you know that if you read right through Matthew, you never read once that God loved you? And if you read right through Mark and right through Luke, do you know the first occurrence of the love of God to anybody is John 3.16? God loved the world like this. Not that Christ could speak parables. Not that he was a perfect man. No, God loved the world like this. 
that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God, so, he loved the world like this. So I've taken the two together. So loved. And I must get to one more word before this first session is over. And that is the word world. There are more occurrences of the word world in John's Gospel than in any other book in the New Testament. And this is in direct contrast with Christ's earthly ministry. While he was here in the flesh, he said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. People bow their heads and say, I believe the scriptures to be true. They read that the gospel of Matthew was never sent to anybody except the lost sheep of the house of Israel and then they take it all to themselves in spite of the warning. Who told you that there's anything in the gospel of Matthew that belongs to you? When he says, go not into the way of the Gentiles and you say, oh, we'll go in. You're in the wrong book, you see. John is the one who ministers the world. Even in his, his epistle, he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So at this moment, there is a ministry going on which is calling out the members of the church of the one body under the dispensation of the mystery. And then there's a great wide world gospel which has no respect to Jew or Gentile, heaven or earth. You don't know what the calling is in John's gospel. You don't know where they're going to enjoy it, doesn't say. But it simply says, life through his name. So that's as far as we can go for a moment. We've packed in, best we can in this 20 minutes, the first section of John 3.16. We'll have just a moment to halt, and then we have another session, and we bring this uh, approach to John 3.16 to a close.